Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. All right, we got some scripture to cover tonight. All right, so we're going into Numbers 22. If it sounds like I lost my voice, I did. I was worshiping, and it got kind of crazy, and it was really good. So Numbers 22, it's in there, okay? Now, I know you want Numbers to end after the three first chapters, but it is in there, okay? It's a good book, and there's a lot in it. <clears throat> so we're going to go through verses 1 through 35. It says, Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river, which is the river Euphrates. I had to look that up because I was like, what river was he at? So, in the land of the sons of his people to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they, are, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they, they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. He said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam, then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall not curse this people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. For I will indeed honor you richly, and will do whatever you say to me. Please come them, curse this people for me. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. 
Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in, the, in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam, he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn the right hand or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary, because your way was, not, was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but you shall speak only the word which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. Oh, that's a lot to uh, take in, right? That's a lot of scripture. Um, basically, the Israelites had just defeated the Amorites, amazingly, and they just defeated Og, the king of Bashan. And they, they, they just moved closer to the Jericho. They moved into the, to the, to the area of Moab. And so the king of Moab, which is this Balak guy, he was the king of Moab, he sees this numerous people covering the land, and, and he's, he's afraid. He, he just saw what they did to the Amorites. He just saw what he did to, to Og of Bashan. And he's like, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to be defeated by these people. we got to do something about this. And so there's this guy called Balaam. He is a, he's a prophet of the Lord. He, he's, a very, um, he's a very astute prophet of the Lord. He's very well known. Um, and he is over by the Euphrates River. So he sends his, his high priests, his people of importance, with these fees of divination. Now divination can also be considered witchcraft, which, you know, it, it's divination, so there's fees. Apparently they, they paid fees back in the Old Testament for some of this stuff. But what he was doing is he was trying to entice them to come. So let's not get too caught up on that. <coughs> but so he, he, he sent these people to Balaam, and Balaam said, okay, well, why don't you stay with me tonight? I'm going to seek the Lord on this. And so he sought the Lord, and the Lord said, no, don't curse these people. Because they are blessed people. Now we know that the Israelites were God's people. He brought them out of Egypt, right? So, have you ever been in a situation? Now we've got to remember that, that they brought these fees of divination. That they were enticing the eyes of Balaam. That, that probably what they brought was really, really good. Because they wanted him to come with them. 
Have you ever had something come to you? Maybe it was a pretty girl, okay? Maybe it was a fancy car. Maybe it was something that you really wanted, <clears throat> but you felt that the Lord didn't want you to have that. Or, or you knew that it was wrong in his sight. So you dealt with it, and you dealt with it well. You dealt with what the Lord told you. That the Lord said no. So you said, okay, I can't do this. Now, I don't know about you, but every time you say something, no to something, that is pretty good. It seems to go away and come back two to three times stronger than it did the first time you saw it. Okay? Is there anybody in here that that has happened to? Okay? All right. And you're like, man, I've dealt with this really good the first time. And all of a sudden it shows it's like, and the enemy's pretty keen on doing this. And it comes back to you. And in Balaam's case, they brought more stuff. They, 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 the higher priest yet came. They brought more of, of the silver and gold or whatever they, they had that they were bringing. It was enticing to his eyes. And so Balaam said, I can't do anything contrary to the Lord, but let me seek him again. Balaam really wanted to go. He wanted to go. We can see in the following verses that the Lord was angry with Balaam because he was going. But we also see before it says that, that the Lord said, you can go with this people, but only speak the word which I have called you to speak. So I don't know if it's two times. And maybe you deal with it okay this, the second time, right? And you're like, okay, this is really hard, really hard, really hard. But okay, I'm going to say no to it again because I know God doesn't want me to do it. And, and it goes away again. And, and then the third time, it's going to come back a third time. All right, we know this. The third time it comes and you're like, ooh, ugh. Man, three times, maybe it's the Lord's will, you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe, this is, uh, maybe, this is what, maybe this is what God wants me to do. And we start, what we start to do is we start to compromise our thoughts. We start to say, well, you know, it's not that bad. I don't feel like it, you know, it's that sinful or it's that far out of the box you know, and, and it seems like God is really saying yes to this situation. Now, in Balaam's case, he was pretty much begging the Lord. He was saying, Lord, I want to go. He came back to him again. And the reason that God was angry with Balaam is because Balaam already knew the answer. The answer was no. The fact that Balaam came back for a, a second time around was bad enough. All he had to do was say no. That's all he had to do because he already knew what the Lord had said. How many times do we know that the Lord said no when we go back and we say, Lord, she is really pretty or he is really handsome and man, I'd like to have me some of that because I know that this could be something good. I know they're not walking with you right now, but man, if I get a hold of them, they might change. Lord, it's got to be your will. Okay? I've been there. I know how this is, right? I remember... I remember the first time I decided I was going to drink alcohol. I was milk. I'm a farmer, so I was milking cows, and uh, there was this really pretty girl. All right, it's fall of her man, okay. Um, and there was this really pretty girl, and she was a partier. And I was like, man, I really want to get to know this girl better. I want to really, you know, meet her on her level and really be a part of, you know, what's going on. And I started to think. I started to. Well, I started to rationalize my thoughts. I started to say, "Okay, well, this guy's doing that, and there's nothing wrong with him. And I know he goes to church, and, and the Lord's not smitten him. He hasn't struck him with fire. He hasn't taken anything away from him, and he's doing okay. So yeah, it can't be too bad, you know. You rationalize. You rationalize. You start to get cloudy, right? I think about a camera. 
You know, the farther you zoom out, the cloudier things get, the less defined you can see. The more you zoom in, the more you zoom in on the sole purpose of what you're zooming in on, the better you can see it, right? The better it, is, it comes to life to you. And all the things around it, they fade away, right? All of a sudden, you're focused in on this one thing, and everything around that one thing is blurry, and all you can see is that one thing. And man, I'm telling you what, when you're focused on that one thing, that's all you want. Because you can see the prize. Nothing else matters. That's, that's the whole idea of focus, right? On a camera, that's the idea of focus. So we look at this story, and, and Balaam goes on his way, and the Lord is angry with Balaam. And he decides to set an adversary before him. And I want you to get this. The adversary Balaam cannot see. Only his donkey can see it. See, Balaam has already lost in what enticed him when he came back to God the second time. So now he could no longer see in the spiritual realm of who he was. He could only see the natural things. Now, animals are pretty neat. You know, if you've got a dog or a cat, sometimes it's, you really, animals, they can sense things. A dog, our dog is really crazy because he's at the window before the car pulls in the driveway and I'm like... Has he got a camera somewhere? Because I, how does he know we're coming? Up? I have no idea how that happens, right? But he he can't see spiritually right now. And the Lord has set this adversary before him, and one time, and so the Lord puts his adversary in front of him, and his donkey goes to the left because oh, okay, yeah, that's the mighty God. But the creation knows its creator. All right, don't get me wrong. The creation knows its creator. Okay, so it's going to move out of the way and try and get down on its knees and worship the creator. Okay. Now, the first time he goes to the left, there's a lot of room, right? He goes to the left. And I'm a farmer. I can tell you that when an animal does something you don't want it to do, it's not very, very good to deal with, you know? So Balaam strikes this donkey because the donkey isn't going where Balaam wants it to go. And the, and the donkey goes back in the path. And the adversary of the Lord is in front of him again. And now they're in this vineyard, and there's a wall on the left and a wall on the right. And, and there's no way for that donkey to go and, and the Lord is in front of him. So now the donkey stops and presses hard against the wall and puts Balaam's foot against the wall. And he, and he strikes the donkey again. And then a third time, they're even in an even tighter space where the donkey can't really lean from the left or the right. So he gets down. What does the creation do when it sees the creator right before him? They get down on their knees, right? And Balaam strikes it again. I understand where Balaam's coming from. That's all I can say. Okay. He was spiritually blind. He couldn't see anything. He, he was blinded by, by his, his wants, his desires. He was blinded by what he wanted. He was, he was compromising who he was for what his desires were. And this is, this is really good, and I want to read this again. Because the Lord really showed this to me. And the donkey said to him, and the donkey opened its mouth. I think this is the only time in Scripture that an animal speaks. I, I could be wrong, but I think it's the only time. So look it up because I'm not always right. It says, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a mockery of me. And the Lord showed me this. That what that donkey made a mockery of Balaam, Balaam made a mockery of God. Yeah, who was right? And I was like... When we don't do what God wants us to do, when we don't answer the, the call that he has called us to, 
We're making a mockery of him. We're called to step in his ways. We're called to look into him with everything that we have. And a lot of times we start looking to him when we're in destruction and disaster. and Things aren't going right. And then when we start seeing our wants and desires come to us and we say, Lord, why don't you give me that? Why can't I have that? I've been walking with you. And we start to make a mockery of who God is and what he is in our life. And that really hit me. I was like, wow, that, you know, I could have read right over that, but the Lord took me back to it. It was really good. He said, I would have killed you by now, donkey, if I had a sword. And then you read on, and it says, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. God opened his eyes, took the blinders off, took the scales off. Just like he took the scales off of Paul. He could now see in the spiritual realm, made himself visible. And Balaam could see why the donkey was going from the left to the right, where the donkey was getting down, where the donkey was pressing. And talk about an embarrassing moment. It says he got down on his knees. It says he apologized for his sin. The Lord told him, I have not called you to go. Why have you made a mockery of me? Paraphrasing, that's not what it said. We know that. We just read it, right? <laughs> so... Um, but the Lord opened his eyes, and we do this all the time. We say, I want this, I want that. And then when we see, oh, you got this and you got that, and it's like, oh, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be. Now there's another want and desire in your life, and you start chasing that, and it just becomes a, a never-ending circle, a never-ending cycle of, you know, I want my wants and desires. I want, I want what this world says I can have, but we're never satisfied with what the God has given us, and God has given us eternal life. I mean, it's just so, so amazing. It's a spiritual thing that sometimes we don't get to see because we're so caught up in who we are and what we want and, and, and want to do. The Israelites were in this same position when they were in the... Two people made it to the promised land. That's not very good odds. <laughs> Psalm 106, starting in verse 13 through 14. Tells us a little bit about the Israelites. It says, they quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely, intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a, waste, a wasting disease among them. We can seek God with a lot. We know how to seek God. It's through prayer. It's through fasting. It's through a lot of different ways. If we're seeking him for the wrong things and we continue to seek him for the wrong things, he will eventually give us over to our desires. Romans talks about this, giving, giving uh, the people over to their desires or their lust and in their ways. If you continue one way, the Lord is eventually going to say, well, you know, if that's really the way you want to go, you can go that way. So he gave them what they wanted, but it, it came at a cost. It came at a cost of disease and death. You know, what you're chasing is going to come at a cost. It's, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Right? That's what happens. Sin 
requires some sort of death. Now, Jesus died for us to take away our sin, which I think is really cool. Because he literally stepped in. And this is, this is so cool. It's such a cool illustration. He showed me one day that I'm there and the sin is in me. And I am the one he loves. And sin is the thing he hates. And what he hates is in me. And he can't hate and love. So what did he do? He took this lamb over here that was under nothing, pure and without blemish or spot, and he took me out of my sin, put me over here, took that lamb and put, him, put my sin in him. And now I am called the lamb, and he is called me, and he killed him. That's the penalty of sin. He was God, thank God. And he rose again and took over the power of death. We'll talk about that a little more later. But I want to go to Mark chapter 4. And I always think sometimes when you read stuff in the Old Testament, you're like, yeah, it was that way because Jesus wasn't there. Right? Well, it was better now we got Jesus. So I like to, to do a little contrast. In Mark chapter 4. We go 36, and we're going to go through 41. So it says, leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? First thing I want to show you is that they didn't wake him up because they thought he could calm the storm. We don't see that till it's after he's done, right? Whoa, the wind and the sea answer to this guy. They woke him up because they thought they were going to die. Right? It was pretty cool. And I also want you to see that wherever you go, Jesus is with you. Jesus was with them when they went in the boat. They didn't go in the boat alone. Jesus was with them. When you get in your car, Jesus is with you. When you're doing your homework, Jesus is with you. When you come to church, Jesus is with you. In fact, this, this place doesn't fill up with Jesus until you're here. You are the temple of God. You are where Jesus resides. This place is not where Jesus resides. Jesus resides in you. All right? Jesus goes wherever you go. He is always accessible. And as we, I want to talk about this thing of focus because, because they were focusing on the storm. They were focusing on the storm. They, had, they were not focusing on the one that they saw do all the miracles, who was sleeping, sound asleep. He was just like, this is rocking me to sleep. This is so good. And their eyes were focused on the storm, and they were afraid of what was going on, and they were like, oh, we're going to die, we're going to perish, but they weren't focused on the right thing. Jesus was with them. How many times is Jesus always with us, and we're going through something, and he's coming, and then the enemy is coming against us, and we're, we're saying, it's all right, Jesus, I'll stand in your way, you'll be okay. And Come on, Right? Come on. And we're like, we got to turn to Jesus and put Jesus in front. 
That's what he called us to do. We got to quit focusing on our situation and start using Jesus in our situation. How many times does a situation define your focus? How many times do you walk into a situation and that situation turns your focus to something else? It's time to start walking to where we step into a situation and our focus determines that situation. Okay, we can do that. We can do that. How powerful is your focus? Are you going to step into something? And I remember this, and this, I'm not very good at this very yet. All right, I'm still working on this. I'm a work in progress. But you're talking to people, and they start saying bad jokes, and they start uh, doing all different kinds of things. And it's so easy to do the thing in the world and start talking the way they're talking, start laughing at their jokes, start saying, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's pretty funny, you know, you know, and then you start saying jokes with them, and, and one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden, your whole focus, the, you were focused on God when you stepped into the situation, but now you're focused on everything that they're talking about, and God has been left outside of the situation. Instead of coming in and starting talking about Jesus and focusing that situation on Jesus, now you're evangelizing, now you're bringing people into the kingdom. I mean, our focus can deter- determines a lot, and how strong we really believe in the focus that we're in. It determines a lot. We have that ability to do that. It's really, really difficult to make that decision to do that, but it really literally is a decision. I really wanted to share this this point, that about a year ago I decided that I needed to change some things in my life, that I needed to, to take away from all of the TV, I really like football. I was really watching football a lot, so it was really, you know, I had to repent about that. And I was really watching a lot of things. I would get home, I work all day, and I get home and I want to relax, and I sit down and I watch TV and I would just relax and, and be like, oh, this is so nice to relax, and then get up and go to work again in the morning. And it wasn't filling my time with God at all in any way, shape, or form. And I was struggling with these things, these sins, these, these life sins that we deal with. And I was like, Lord, everybody tells me how you come in and you break the walls and you break the chains and you take this stuff away in the matter of no time and they never have to, they never come back and deal with it again in any way, shape, or form. I was like, I've never seen that in my life and I don't know if that's really true. Everybody tells me about it. I hear these people testifying about it in their lives and how they're sharing with other people and people are getting freed from all this stuff. How does this work? And I, I began to start to, to, to really shift my focus on God, and I shut the TV off. I said, I'm not going to watch any more TV. I'm going to start filling my life with the Bible. I was going to shift my focus to the Bible, and I can tell you right now when I did that, all of a sudden my focus was on the Bible, and I had no time to put a focus on anything else. Everything blurred out. It's like that camera. It all blurred away. I couldn't focus on anything anymore. Your sin never has you. You give your sin the power by looking at it. You give your sin the power by focusing on it. Your sin never had you. The victory is ours. We walk in it. It doesn't have you. All you got to do is take your focus off the sin and put it on God. Fill your time with God. Quit filling your time with the things of this world because that is what takes you back to where your sin is. It might look good and say, oh, yeah, that, that, that's kosher. That feeds with what God is doing. But really what you're doing is you're taking the time that was allotted for him and you're giving it to something else. And over time, you start to drift away. And I want to go to Hebrews 2, verse 1, and I want to share with you what the Bible says about that. It 
It says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. We got any fishermen in here? Anybody like to catch fish? Yeah? You ever uh, go out and park your boat, per se, in a spot and start, start fishing and kind of focused on what you're doing, and you're like fishing in a spot, fishing, and forgot to throw the anchor out, fishing, and you're looking around, and all of a sudden you're, you start looking around, and you're like, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> it's happened, okay? <laughs> One time I fell asleep, and I drifted, and I got up, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, this is not good, you know? So you just start, you get in and start driving, right? You know? So we drift away. From God, because we start to focus on other things. We drift away. It's kind of a reality. It's a reality that you don't have to live with when you keep your focus on God. But it's a reality that when I get lost by drifting on a boat, I'm not always sure which way to go. But if I'm lost in my walk with God, I know God is always there and He can bring me back. So we're going to finish up here with Matthew 14. Uh, I'm just going to start in verse 22. I'm not sure if that's where I decided I was going to start, but that's where I'm going to start. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he sent the crowds away, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter got out of the boat. A lot of people give Peter a lot of grief because he was sinking, but he did get out of the boat. Nobody else got out of the boat. True. Um, when he started walking, he, uh, he had his focus on Jesus. So he was on top of the water. Because he knew who Jesus was and where his hope and love and rest resided. But now when he started walking towards Jesus, he began to look from the left and to the right and he began to see the height of the waves and, and, and the chaos around him. And I, I would imagine that would be pretty chaotic. Being in a boat with big waves is kind of chaotic. It's hard on the stomach. So as soon as he took his focus off of Jesus, he began to sink. But Peter did the one thing that we all have to know how to do. He said, Jesus, help! Save me. And in a matter of an instant, he went from a drowning man to a man that was saved. 
The same can be said about the man upon the cross next to Jesus. In the matter of an instant, he went from being a hardened criminal, being crucified for all the wrongs that he'd done, rightly so, being crucified of all the wrong. But as one was mocking him, he looked over him and said, truly, this is the Son of God. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you shall dine with me today in paradise. He went from an instant to being a hardened criminal crucified for his death to being seated at the right hand of Jesus in an instant. Salvation isn't for the people that are rightly prepared. It's for everybody. Grace is for everybody. Jesus took your sin upon himself, you personally. It's for everybody. Peter got out of the boat. Maybe you're here and you're like, I hear what you're saying, but I ain't never been there. Maybe you're here and you're in the boat and you've never seen Jesus walking. I feel like I feel like I've been there where I've been in the boat and Jesus is walking by on the water and you don't even see him because you don't even know to focus on him. But I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus is walking by your boat and he's calling you and he's saying, "Come on. Come on out." Are you ready to get out of the boat? Are you ready to get out of the boat? Are you ready to make a commitment? in your life to take your focus off the things that are temporary and put it on the things that are eternal. It's amazing. I can tell you from from experience that it changes your life when you really give it everything you have, when you really focus your heart and your mind and your soul and body on everything that Jesus has given us. From the outside, it doesn't always look funny. You say, oh, those church folk, they don't ever have a good time. They don't ever go out and party. But you can party a lot harder with God because, my God, you can wake up early. You don't get headaches. One guy said, he said, there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. I mean, that is revelation. Right? Now maybe you, you're the person that's out of the boat and you're, you're just, you're looking at all the waves. You're looking at the chaos in your life. Maybe that's where you're at and you're sinking. And you haven't come to the realization that you can call on Jesus or you feel too dignified to do so or you feel embarrassed to do so because you're sinking. I want to tell you right now that he is on the water with his hand out. Jesus has his hand on the doorknob. Just waiting for you to knock. He's there. He's ready. He's just waiting. It takes a decision. It takes a choice. Maybe we'll talk about that next time. But it takes something of you. God isn't going to chase you if you don't want to chase him. You can challenge God in every way you want to, but unless you start to make that decision that say, God, show me yourself and I'm going to seek you with everything that I have. You can say, God, show me you and keep doing what you're doing. It speaks nothing. It takes a sacrifice. So, I want everybody to close their eyes and I want you to understand that that really Jesus came as that pure lamb. He was that pure lamb without blemish or spot. 
and he slid under your sin and put your sin in him and took you out of your sin and put you where his throne is. He humbled himself, came as a bond slave, a servant, because he had his focus on the, on the cross. And I, wanna, I don't want to say just the cross, but beyond the cross, because he knew what the cross meant. The cross meant the redemption of the world. And I want to ask right now if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally that's saying, I'm still in the boat. You can just slip up your hand. We want to pray for you, and you, you can have the opportunity to get out of the boat. And I want you to know that it takes a spirit of courage to do that. We don't just start walking on water. It takes a spirit of courage to put our focus on God. And I can tell you right now, the enemy's sitting right next to you saying, don't do it. If you could see him, <laughs> you wouldn't put your hand up, you'd be up here at the altar. It's the reality of it. And if you're walking on the water and you're sinking and you can see the waves of chaos and you need to rededicate your life and you just can't you can't come up and get air anymore you can't seem to just get out of this chaotic lifestyle this cycle I want you to lift your hand I want to pray for you thank you appreciate that I appreciate that courage it's amazing taking the fire darts of the enemy and you just put them out. Would everybody please stand? God has got a call for us. He's called us to focus. He's called us to focus on him because he has something greater for you. I want everybody to repeat with me this prayer, this prayer, and I want you to say this with your heart. Those of you that raise your hand with a, with a, a courageous heart. I just want you to just declare this in your life. Sin doesn't have you. It never did. It never did. Jesus took it away. So say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you to come into my life. I believe you with everything that I am, all of my heart. And I ask for forgiveness of the sins that I've committed. And Lord, I choose to forgive all those that ever harmed me in any way. Lord, come and fill me. Fill me to the uttermost. I am no longer focusing on the chaos. But I am focused on you. In Jesus' name. And they all said, and the angels roar. When one life is saved, the angels roar in heaven. One life. You're important to God. If you walked away, you're still important to God. He doesn't give up. The angels roar. If you guys need prayer, we're going to have a prayer team around and about, but we're going to enter into some worship. And I want you to really give it everything you have. If you've got to get on your knees, get on your knees. If you've got to get on your face, get on your face. Whatever God calls you to do, I want you to be honest and pure about it. I want you to do it. Because when we don't do what God calls us to do, we're giving that power back to the end.
Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.